0: continuing our series through the book of Romans. Still hear some pages turning. Romans chapter 7, verse 7 through 25. Hear now the words of the Lord. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For we know that the law has spirit, is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that is, it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh." of sin, those are very words of God. Amen. Amen. One of the worst sights you can ever see is an overzealous man for a lady. I, you, if you don't believe me, let me paint this picture for you. One of the worst sights you can see is a brother who is overzealous. Hear me out. Hear me out. Um, this guy, uh, this guy is is texting right, and she's she's never responding. Uh, this is the guy who calls and leaves voicemails uh, on her phone, and she never calls him back. This guy is relentless. He keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. Everybody has known one of those guys at one time in your life. This guy, he he won't stop. He he continues pushing with this young lady over and over and over again. He, he's borderline stalker-ish. He, he is. She's not responding to any of those text messages. She's not responding to, 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 to any of those voicemails. She doesn't want to hear from Kim. So, um, I got a friend. I, okay, it's me. <laughs> It's not not a friend. Um, So there was this girl. Okay? I'm going to let you end on my world a little bit. Um, I just had it out for this girl. Uh, This girl, man, she was fine as wine. She was a brick house. Uh, This girl was a dime piece. Uh, So there was this girl... um, And so I had eyes for this young lady. And, of course, this this was ages and ages ago. Uh, She wouldn't give me a shot. She wouldn't give me a chance. So I'm calling this girl. Never get a response. But, hey, 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 Uh, this is Chris. Um, I'm just calling to say hey. Hey. um, seeing how you're doing uh, give me a call back when, when you get a free moment um, when you're not washing your hair for the 500th time um, texting hey, you know, even, you know, I may throw in a little emoticon here and there like, hey, you know, you're really desperate when you put in emoticons <laughs> um, relentless pedal to the metal foot down I was persistent. In my mind, while it was happening, I was convinced that I was going to get there, but she was never going to give me a shot. I couldn't and I wouldn't give up. I couldn't. And when we come to our text this morning, we will see a picture of the law stirring up sin in our lives. Get this, and that sin wreaking havoc upon us. We will see a picture of persistent sin that doesn't just want to date us but that wants to marry us. Sin that is persistent and that will continue to chase after us and pursue us. Doesn't want to just date us. This sin wants to marry us. I want to put Three ideas before you. Let me just give you the table of contents of where we're going this morning. I want to show you that sin has a tendency to disguise itself. I want to also show you that sin wages war in us and that sin has only one answer. Sin has a tendency to disguise itself, that sin wages war in us, and that sin has only one answer. I want to speak from the subject, relentless sin. But before we go to work, let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for worship Uh, this morning. Thank you for different forms of worship. Um, Lord, I recall uh, that Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, uh, there's a time to mourn, there's a time to weep, laugh, there's even a time to dance. And so thank you for that this morning. Um, Father, I pray that you would be here. And I pray, God, that you would eliminate distractions I pray that you would speak to us clearly, God. Lord, I pray that you would move me out of the way, that you would have your way in this place this morning. I pray that your spirit would reign, that your spirit would do work in our hearts, in our lives, in our minds. Uh, Father, I pray that you would change us, that we would leave here different than when we came, that we would leave here closer to you, And Father, there are some who do not have a relationship with you. Uh, Jesus is not their Lord. And I pray by the power of your Spirit that that would happen this morning. That the lights would come on. I pray that you would encourage the weary. Father, that you would give strength to maybe the faint of heart. Father, thank you for this gathering this morning. For you called us to do this you said don't forsake the assembly of the saints and you've called this time good and so we worship and we pray and we sit under the preaching of the word and I just pray Father that you would be honored that your fame would grow from this time this morning in Jesus name Amen so last week um, Richard showed us that we are no longer married to the law but that we are married to Christ Christ Uh, And that relationship can be messy at times. That marriage can be messy at times. Uh, We are released from the law. And when Paul makes that declaration that we are no longer married to the law but Christ, he in the same breath, get this, he anticipates a question. He anticipates a question. Uh, And the question that he's anticipating, he's saying, since we are no longer married from the law, he's anticipating this, does that mean that the law is wrong? Does that mean that the law is bad? He's anticipating that his readers are moving in that direction of asking that question. And so what we get is our in our passage is Paul's answer to that question. Is the law bad? Is the law wrong? Since we are no longer married to the law, since we are released from the law and married to Christ, does that mean the law is bad for us? Paul gives us... A great answer to that. Paul gives us an an example. He makes it crystal clear for us what our problem is. Then he gives us an example. Look at verse 7 with me. Paul says this For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. And the idea of coveting is being discontent with what God has given you. See, it begins with the desire of something, but when we don't get that desire, it ends in bitterness. See, coveting is more than something that happens on the outside, but coveting is something that happens on the inside. And I think Paul is being incredibly intentional here in using this example. Because Paul could have said, I, I wouldn't have known what it, what it meant in the law when, when the law said, do not steal or do not murder. See, Paul's intention here is to give us something that's not on the outside, that's not exterior. But he's giving us something that's interior. And Paul's message to us this morning is walking with Jesus Christ, knowing Jesus Christ, is much more than checking off rules. It's the intentions of your heart. It's your thoughts. It's those desires. It's much more than just checking off a rule or saying, yeah, I've done that. Yeah, I haven't lied this week. Yeah, I've. Paul's saying it's, it's much more than... Just what happens on the outside. He's saying this walk with Jesus is an interior thing. It's on the inside. And the idea there is when we begin to covet, when we begin to not accept what God has provided for us and given to us, we desire something else. We get bitter when we don't get it. And you know what that is? That's idolatry. And we create in our hearts these little idols that we worship. Paul's saying, you shouldn't do that. See, all of this disposition is about the heart. So the reason Paul uses coveting as an example is just that reason. He's showing us that it's more than just what we do on the outside, but also what we do on the inside. One of the reasons I love this portion of Scripture is because Paul puts himself on display to the readers. He doesn't try to put his life in some cute, compact, simple kind of way. He he lets it all hang out, and I love it. Paul is real. Paul is raw with us and he he puts his walk with Jesus on display for us to learn from. Listen to what Paul says in verse 9. He says, I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. What what, what is Paul saying? What is Paul saying here? Uh, Paul is a Jewish guy. And so from birth, Paul would have been raised up around the law. There has never been a time a guy like Paul would have been apart from the law. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I thought I had it all together. I thought I had it all together. Here I am, an expert, Pharisee, hear me, uh, an expert in the law. I thought I had it all together, but when the conviction of sin came that the law provided, it showed me how much of a mess I really was. Paul's saying, "I I thought I was there. I thought I was well put together. But what my walk with Jesus showed me is that I wasn't. And he, Paul's saying his ability to meet the moral code wasn't good enough. He, he's saying he could check off all of the rules. He could do that. But even that was not good enough. His his moral compass was in the right direction, but even that wasn't good enough. And he's helping us to learn that this morning. Paul is seeing how demanding the law really is. And essentially, Paul comes under the weight of conviction, and he sees that his morality, his having good morals, his doing the right things is not good enough. And it won't cut it. And I want to tell you this morning, I want to remind you this morning, even as we journey through the book of Romans, that your good morals is not good enough for God. He holds us to a much higher standard. The fact that you are a virgin is a great thing, but that is not good enough. It will not make you more acceptable to God. The fact that you don't drink or maybe you don't smoke anymore. None of that stuff will make you more acceptable to God. And that's the message that Paul is getting at early in this text. He's telling us that I thought I had it all together, folks. I was morally upstanding. I did all the right things. But even that was not good enough. When the law came... I saw my own brokenness very clearly. It was crystal clear. And under the weight of my own sin, even as an expert in the law, I kept good morals and I realized I was still a person in need. We got to get that this morning. Because here we are in Memphis, Tennessee. The Bible Belt. How many Bible studies have you been to? Plenty. We know how to do the steps. We know how to have good morals. But does that mean we are more acceptable to God? No. Paul's going to give us an answer as we journey through this text. I want us to see this, that sin has a tendency to disguise itself. Look at verse 11 with me. This is Paul before Christ. Look at what he says. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, get this, deceived me. And through it, killed me. Did you see that? Paul goes on to say in verse 12. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Then look at verse 13 with me. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. Here's the kicker. In order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Paul says, sin deceived me. And it wasn't the law that was bad, but it was the law that revealed sin to be sin. But before, it wasn't, a, it wasn't very clear, Paul says. Sin has a way of masking itself. See, sin will always overpromise and it will always under-deliver. Always. It will always overpromise and it will always underdeliver. Sin will dress up all pretty, prance around and deceive us. It will deceive us. It will eat us alive. And the reality is many of us we are sucked into the lies of desiring more power, more fame, more success, more money, we're sucked into the lies of desiring more pleasure. we bought the lies. And sin will disguise itself in all of those ways. And it will draw us in. And we will be deceived, as Paul says. Just like he was. And it will do a number on us and spit us out and leave us in a desperate, empty place. See, we, we, we are so out for our own pleasure. Aren't we? We desire to please ourselves. So much so that we're blinded by the death plunge that sin has us moving in. Because we're out for our own pleasure. We, we, we want to please ourselves. And we're on this death plunge that sin is catapulting us in, and many times until it's too late. We've already fallen off the bandwagon. So, do you see the seriousness of sin? The brokenness that it caused? Look at, look at the language Paul uses here. He's very serious about this. In verse 11, Paul says, Sin deceived me and through it killed me. Then again in verse 13. It was sin producing death in me, Paul says. There's no doubt in Paul's mind, get this, that at the end of the day, sin will always lead to death. Physical death and an eternal separation from the Father. He says there is only one destination. Hear me this morning. Death. It's the only place. That it will take you, it's saying disguises itself, it dresses up to look pretty pretty, and it takes takes us on this death plunge that we cannot handle on our own it's like a criminal um, ever you ever heard of or read about a bank robbery Of course criminals they they'll they'll run into this bank they'll they 'll have their disguises on right. Um, Why? Because they want to hide their identity so that they can get their purpose across. So they can take all that they can for themselves, out for themselves. So they hide their identity, they throw on the mask, they break the law and they go in, they deceive everybody and they try to take everything they can for themselves and that's the picture of sin. Sin goes in with a mask on, maybe dressing up. Like a pretty woman. Dressing up in the form of fame. Dressing up in the form of popularity, in the form of success, in the form of major dollars. Sin dresses up and disguises itself. And deceives us. Takes everything it desires to take. And leaves you and I empty in a dark place. Ever been there? Ever been in a place where you thought something was good? Thought it was worthwhile and you were deceived in the end? Ever been there where you were seeking your own pleasure? Desiring to please yourself and where it landed you was in a place of despair and emptiness? Ever been there? I have. Sin disguises itself. That's the job of sin. Its only job is to kill, steal, and destroy. Secondly, sin wages war in us. Sin wages war in us. Paul makes a shift here in verb tenses, and I want to make this point. Verse 7 through uh, 13, Paul transitions uh, uh, he, 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 he's going back and forth with different verb tenses, but he, he, every verb tense is in the past in 7 through 13. Then in verse 14, he transitions the verb tenses to the present. To the present. And the picture I want you to see is 7 through 13, Paul is talking about his former life. 14 through the end of the text, Paul is talking about right now. Present tense. He's talking about his life now. Keep that in perspective as we move forward here. Look at verse 14 with me. We're going to look at verses 14 through 24. Look at that with me. It says this, For we know that the law is spiritual. But I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not know what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is a good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Do you hear this? Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to be right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. And making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Hear what Paul says. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Here we have a man who has written... The majority of the New Testament saying, Wretched man that I am. I love this. This is real stuff. Paul is putting his walk with Jesus out on a platter for us all to eat from. He's letting us know, get this, and I love it. I struggle. I struggle. And let me tell you this, the mark of the genuine follower of Jesus Christ, get this, is struggle. You aren't waving the white flag, surrendering to sin at every turn, but you're struggling. There's a tug of war happening on the inside of you. That's the mark of a believer. The mark of a genuine believer is not waving the white flag, nor is it perfection. And I love what Paul is showing us here. He's saying, why in the world can I not do what I know I should be doing? Why do I do the things that I don't want to do? Evil is close by. And every time I don't want to do something, that's the very... Do you hear the frustration here? Have you ever been there before in your walk with Jesus? Maybe there's a lingering issue of sin. And the very thing that you don't want to do, you are pulled in that direction and find yourself drowning in again. Paul says, I'm a wretched man. And I want you to hear me say this this morning. If you are a believer struggling with sin, get this, you are not alone. You are not alone. Keep your head up. Here's a guy who is struggling well, who has written most of the New Testament, showing you that he is struggling. It's real. You are not alone. You ain't by yourself. Just because you are struggling with sin does not mean God does not love you. It does not mean you are not made in the image of God. It does not mean God does not care for you. It does not mean you are some crazy, foreign person. It means that you just might be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. Struggling. Wrestling. Fighting. See, do you hear those characteristics? If there is no struggle in your heart, if there is no wrestling, if there is no fight in you, you might want to check on your salvation. Cause you might not know Jesus. Paul is wrestling here. He's struggling. That's freeing for us. Paul's saying, you are not alone. This is the walk of the believer until glory, until Jesus returns and claims those that belong to Him, you and I will struggle. And we'll find ourselves in places that we ought not be. We'll find our thoughts consumed with things that they ought not be consumed with. Find ourselves drowning In issues of sin that we ought not be drowning in. Struggle. This is real stuff. Paul has not hidden his relationship with Jesus. Paul has not, in the Memphis Southern Bible Belt kind of way, put on the facade of having it all together. He hadn't projected this perfection upon other people that burdens them. He's telling them, I I, I know, I've been there, I'm there right now in my walk with Jesus, you are not alone. Maybe you find yourself sinking in depression, and you wonder what's wrong with you, struggling. Struggling. Paul says, I know. Maybe it's a lingering addiction. Maybe it's a sexual sin. Paul says, I'm struggling too. This is not some license to abuse grace. This is real. Real walk with Jesus. Um, I remember being young, um, my brother and I, I was probably about 10 years old, that makes my brother probably 12. We're in the kitchen of my mama's house, and there is some, there's some meat thawing on the table. Some raw ground beef, a pallet of it thawing on the kitchen table. And I want to tell you that I don't know where we got this idea from before I tell you this. So we, in the kitchen, there's these white walls, right? So we take little balls of this thawing out ground beef, red, mind you. And we make little balls. And we throw it against the wall. So, what you see... In my mama's kitchen, mind you, are these little red balls all over the walls. Because we've thrown ground beef all over the walls. Boys, I don't know what was going on. But as I'm getting the whooping, a board, mind you, going against my behind... I'm thinking to myself, the thing that I didn't want to do is the very thing that I did. The thing that I shouldn't have done is the very thing that I did. As the board is going <laughs> against my mind, and that board broke. I'm going to tell you that. Um, Across my behind at 10 years old, my mama was furious. It was something I'm in the middle of knowing that I'm going to have to pay for this later. (laughs) But I did it anyway. Why? I don't know. With every thrust, there's a part of me that knew... You're going to get it. <laughs> but I did it anyway. And that's what Paul is saying here. Paul's saying the very thing that I shouldn't have done, the very thing that I shouldn't do, I find myself doing. And it is a struggle. It's a struggle. And I love his honesty. I love his rawness. I love his tone here. He's being real with us. Have you ever been there? The very thing that you didn't want to do is what you find yourself entrenched in. Paul says, I know your story well. Lastly, we learn that sin has only one answer. That sin has only one answer. Look at verse 24 through 25 with me says this, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And Paul reminds his readers of the gospel of Jesus. He says in verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul says, in so many words, that the only answer to this crystal clear sin that the law has provided me with, is Jesus. Here he is, as emotional as he is in this moment, he's saying, the only answer to my burden of sin is Jesus. And what the law has done is the law has revealed my brokenness, not just in an exterior kind of way in the things that I do, but also the intentions of my heart, my desires. Paul says, the only answer to that is sin, is Jesus. He says, that sin leads me to death. It kills There's no answer to it outside of Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's as simple as that this morning. There's no answer outside of Jesus Christ. And Paul holds up Jesus. I can see him holding him up in Colossians chapter 1, saying that Jesus is before all things, that Jesus holds all things together. That before Jesus, there was nothing. That Jesus created all things. That in Him, all things are held together. Paul is saying in so many words, that there is no answer for our sin outside of Jesus. And here our hearts, over and over again, we create our own answers. And our rebellion to God is our sin. That rebellion to God is our way of saying, God, we want to be in control. And we are claiming through our actions to be sovereign in and of ourselves. That's why we rebel against God. That's why we violate God's law. Because we want to be in control. And what Paul shows us, is that there, apart from Christ, you and I have no answer to our sin. So Jesus lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death. He died a gruesome, nasty death. He stood in your place. He stood in my place. And He was obedient to death. He was buried. And He rose again on the third day. Jesus did that so that you and I can have an answer to our brokenness. And in response, what does Jesus ask of us? Does He ask of us to get all the steps right? That's not what Paul would say. Does Jesus ask of us to completely get all the rules right? That's not what Paul would say to us. What Jesus says is, Come all who are weary, come to Me. Just believe in Me. Do you believe in Him this morning? Are you weary? Are you in need? Jesus says, Believe. Believe. Y'all know my story. Y'all know how much I love my mother. Um, she, she sacrificed for our family. She gave up a lot. She gave up um, so much. And I see a lot of young moms these days. And um, it makes me even... A lot of young single moms. And it makes me even more thankful um, for having a good mother. Because... As I see, even in my own family, single moms, shifting off the responsibility of their children to others. Pushing off the responsibility of their children to others. My mother said, you know what, that's my responsibility. She said, these are my babies. All five of them. And so, even if I have to be uncomfortable, even if I have to sacrifice time... If I have to sacrifice a life, I will do it on behalf of my children. Why? Because she loved us. And she gave up everything for us. And that's the picture of what Paul is saying here, is that Jesus loves you more than even mama can love you. He loves you more than anybody you know. He loves you enough... To give up his very life. And all he asks in response is, come to me all who are weary and broken. Believe in me. I want to be your Lord. I don't just want to be a genie in the bottle off to the side. I want to be Lord of your life. Savior which changes the way you spend your money, which changes the way you love your spouse, which changes the way you care for your children, which changes the way you handle conflict in the workplace, which changes how you live as a single person, which changes things. Jesus says, I want to be not just a good teacher. I want to be Lord. Because I love you. He says, sin has not won the battle. I have conquered sin and death on your behalf and all I ask of you is to believe. Would you believe this morning that He is who He is? He has done what He has said He has done and that He will do what He has said He will do. Let's pray. Father, thank you. That you are Lord. Thank you, Father, that though the law revealed to us the burden of sin that we could never overcome on our own, you provided an answer for us. Thank you, Jesus. You provided an answer in the blood of the Lamb, a perfect sacrifice to atone for our sins. Thank You, God, that Jesus stood in our place for our sin. Thank You, Father, that He was condemned so that we could be free from condemnation. Thank You, Father, that Jesus was shamed so that we could be free from our shame. Thank You, Father, that Jesus was deemed guilty so that we could be free from the guilt of our sin. Thank You, Jesus. And I pray that by the power of Your Spirit, You would open our eyes to those realities. I pray, God, by the power of Your Spirit, You would draw us closer and closer and closer. you and lord i just pray over my church this morning i pray that you would give our men women and children a desire a hunger and thirst for righteousness lord i know that there are some in here this morning that are deeply entrenched in sin they've been deceived by the disguises of sin god And would You lift them out by the power of Your Spirit, God, from the pit and the burden of sin. And thank You, God, that Your yoke is easy and that Your burden is light. Thank You that there is no valley too deep for You to reach us. That You care for us to find us. That You care for us. That while we were dead in our sins, You sent Jesus and He did die. He was buried and He rose again. Thank You for how good You are. In Jesus' name, Amen.